Doc's Watch is meant for entertainment purposes only and not, I repeat, not meant to give medical advice or diagnosis. Always consult your doctor and not your podcast host if you have a medical question, concern, or ailment. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Doc's Watch, the show where real doctors tell you what's real, what's not, and what's maybe possible in your favorite movies and TV shows. I'm Dr. Jen. And I'm Dr. Deepa. It is the best and most spooky time of year, which means it is the perfect time to talk about zombies. In this, the first of three episodes about the living undead, we talk about the 2002 movie 28 Days Later and how Cambridge scientists go about making a quote-unquote zombie. We will cover not quite living, not quite dead pathogens, the anger gene, and why Ebola is a terrible choice for a viral vector. Enjoy! Okay, Deepa, let's go to rounds. All right, so today we're going to talk about zombies. Actually, not just today. We're going to talk about zombies more than once. For like six weeks. That's... I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, six weeks. I guess it is six weeks. There's like three episodes. Or is it yep. just four weeks? You know, because no. there's like two weeks in between, but there's three episodes. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, then that's just three weeks. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that's neither math here is there. Neither here nor there. So we're going to talk about zombies because similar to when we somehow started our discussion about vampires, talking about zombies led us to realize that there is a lot to talk about. And so we needed to break it up. And that's basically what we're going to do here. So uh, today's episode is going to be sort of an intro to zombies. And then we're also specifically going to talk about the 2002 movie, 28 Days Later. Um, And then in our next episode, we'll talk about a different zombie-related movie. Um, But we'll first start with some history about zombies because that is what is fun for us. (laughs) Yeah. And um, the history and folklore of zombies... Basically, is nothing at all like what we currently think of as the modern zombie, as like pop culture zombies. What do you um, think of as the modern zombie? If I say to you zombie, what do well, you think? Well, I think of like Walking Dead and like Left 4 Dead, the video game and things like that. So uh-huh. I think about like, like basically cannibalistic undead people, right? Yeah. Who, are, who either move slow and shuffly or super fast. But either way, they're trying to kill living people for some reason. Yeah. And, and I think why. of them as, like, eating brains and having a kind of, like, desiccated look. Or really wet. I feel like it goes one way or the other. Sure. They just don't look right. <laughs> they definitely don't look like They look like you corpses. Or yeah. I right. think of, like, Zombieland right. zombies. That's sort of what I think of. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But, like, this conception, like, I think all of the things that we have said just now, people can basically picture, like, what a zombie looks like. And that picture that you have in your mind right now has nothing to do with the folklore of zombies and where zombies came from. Nope. So kind this of like idea vampires. that we have, kind of like vampires, basically the idea that we currently have of what zombies look like is largely credited to George Romero, who directed uh, Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like where, right, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the that's Dead, That's kind yeah. of where like our, our like American slash Western concept of zombies came from. But the idea of the zombie is probably first appeared in Haiti in like the 17th and 18th centuries. And it's basically traced to Haitian Creole traditions that are rooted in um, African religious customs. And the history, as with a lot of history of the world, is terrible and is related to slavery. (laughs) So at the time, Haiti was known as, um, I'm going to pronounce this. Wait, you speak French now because of Duolingo. How do you pronounce this? You mean this word that looks like Saint Domingue? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably like Saint Domingue or something like that. Okay. I 100% was going to say Saint also, Domingue. This, but at the time, this is Haitian Creole. It's like not the same as French. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's exactly. True. Although I think the name of the island was like the French people named it. Like yeah. France named it because it was a French colony. Um, and France at that time um, basically like exported a lot of sugar and in order to create sugar, you have to grow sugarcane. Mm-hmm. In order to grow sugarcane and harvest and turn it into sugar, France and French people enslaved a lot of West African people and made them attend to that. So they brought a lot of slaves over from West Africa. And 
scholars who've kind of studied the evolution of like of the idea of the zombie and of like Haiti's history and Haiti and the Haitian revolution basically talk about the zombie as a concept that arose within the framework of slavery and colonialism, essentially. So the idea was that like at the time that Haiti or St. Domingue is like um, the, the conditions there for the slaves were particularly brutal. Yeah. Is what all of the documentation says. Yes. Um, and so essentially the only potential escape that you had was death or suicide. Boy. And there is a scholar who studies um, Haitian history and she basically wrote suicide was this is a quote from her some of her work suicide was the slave's only way to take control over his or her own body. And yet the fear of becoming a zombie might stop them from doing so the final rest in green leafy, heavenly Africa with no sugar cane to cut and no master to appease or serve is unavailable to the zombie to become a zombie. It was the slave's worst nightmare to be dead and still a slave an eternal field hand. And the idea was that like there was a Haitian belief that when you died, your soul would return to Africa and you would be free. And you couldn't achieve that if you committed suicide. Instead, your soul would be trapped inside of your reanimated corpse, which could then be controlled by a master and you would have to follow all of his commands, even though you were trapped. And you would still like be a slave, but now forever. Yeah. Um, And then that is grim. Yeah, it's terrible. As with everything to do with slavery. And colonialism. Um, in <laughs> Haitian lore, the only uh, escape or cure, I guess, for a zombie was to eat salt. So hmm. there's this whole thing about how, like, a zombie's master had to make sure their food was really bland. And in the historical context, That is, like, scholars a lot of shade this... towards French food. <laughs> yeah, but they also think that this makes a lot of sense because, like, the, the conditions that the slaves were in was horrific, and so they didn't have access to a lot of food. So the idea that, like, kind of the thing that put, would potentially free you from the state is related to something like that oh, also like fits like, within that context. Yeah. Um, after the Haitian Revolution, this idea was kind of folded into the Haitian voodoo religion. And in this case, the zombies were basically corpses that were reanimated by a voodoo sorcerer called a bakor, hmm. who would then use the undead as free labor to, like, perform tasks and whatnot. Um, and then, ultimately, it got introduced to, like, America and the Western world more so in the 1920s, first, when this one travel writer named William Seabrook went to Haiti to try to figure out, like, how zombies were created. And he did a lot of whitewashed travel writing about like voodoo <laughs> cults and stuff oh, in Haiti um, in a book called The Magic Island and um, kind of introduced the idea. And then the movie White Zombie, which is potentially, I think, the first movie that that involved zombies at all do you, do you in 1932. Think it's the first, like use of the word zombie? It might be the first use of the word zombie because like George Romero actually in his movie, the first the first iteration used ghouls and Uh. it wasn't until like a later one that he used zombies. So like this might be the first kind of like time it was used in popular culture in like America. But this was also kind of during the time when like horror was becoming a thing Mm -hmm. because like Dracula and stuff was also happening at this time. And then Bela Lugosi was actually also in White Zombie. Oh my gosh. So much, so much cross all of the horror movies. Everything with vampires, zombies, all the things. And then zombies have basically since then been used as a way to do like social critique and commentary. Like there's obviously a lot of parallels between like mindless masses and stuff and the commentary Mm. on like capitalism and the Vietnam War and basically any any kind of like fear of the other. And then more recently, fear of illness and pandemics, which is highly relevant, which is kind of like what the context for the zombies that we know of in most recent pop culture is all kind of more related to that idea is like the infectious disease fear kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So when we think about, especially like recent movies and things like that, we think about the reason we thought zombies were interesting was because a lot of the time that they talk about zombies and how they are quote unquote made or transformed. I don't know what you would say created. Um, they talk a lot about viruses 
And there's a lot of like willy nilly use of viruses as I don't want to say scapegoats, <laughs> but um, in movies viruses. and TV shows, like viruses can do literally anything. I was about to say viruses didn't do anything to you, but that's incorrect. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, viruses um, basically get put on them like whatever quality you need, and they provide very little explanation. When in fact, viruses are actually like one of the most interesting infectious things in the world. We talked about parasites and how interesting they were. Um, I would say that bacteria are the least interesting. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Throwing some shade of bacteria. I mean, they're interesting, but like, I don't know, they're like living organisms. You're like, okay, yeah, an, an organism inside another like organism is going to do stuff. Understandable. And yeah. parasites are horrifying. And then yeah. viruses are weird because like, they're not really alive, but they clearly have like the means to reproduce and they, like they replicate they themselves do. and stuff but like yeah what, and what, there's no why are they here you know what i right. mean it's like why though <laughs> what is their what is their goal right like their goal literally is just to make copies of themselves just, right yeah and it's Which, not even I a guess goal it's just it's like, like every what, what happens to happen with them yeah like that's like everything's goal quote unquote right but like parasites even you're kind of like okay you're living inside of another thing because like you need nutrition or whatever I don't know. Yeah, like viruses are just in a weird limbo space because they're not really alive. They're not really dead, but somehow they affect everybody. Yeah. So and can do it quickly. So yeah. Um, so we're gonna first talk a little bit about um, viruses and infections. And I think the the interesting thing. Okay. So when when I was thinking about this, when we when I was going through this, I realized that like yes, I went to medical school. This is correct. Yes, I had you know I studied <laughs> biology in college. All of these things. Yes, I technically read public health stuff, whatever. I feel like <laughs> I got my best understanding of how viruses work playing Plague Inc. Plague Inc. is excellent, like honestly. Like what makes a good, quote unquote good, not good, but yeah, what makes yeah. a bad, bad actually, virus. But, well, Plague Inc. Okay, so Plague Inc., first of all, is a game that you can get. We've I think it's on it mobile, before. but you can get it on the PC. Yeah, we've mentioned it before. And basically, like... It is probably one of the best ways to learn about the public health aspect of disease, like how it spreads and like how difficult it might be to contain it, things like that. Based on the properties of the thing that you're trying to spread. So like, I think a lot of people have played the game Pandemic, like the board game. This right. is like the opposite of that because you are the infection. You're the plague. Yeah. And so you have to understand all these qualities of bacteria, virus, parasite, fungus, and your goal is to destroy the world. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because you're also fighting against, you know, the symptoms that it causes and how certain symptoms might not be the best ones and all, how to make it more infectious and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, we're going to go into all those specific qualities of viruses um, and what makes certain viruses spread across the whole world and what makes other ones not. So we have like five main things, right? Yeah. Infectivity. So, yeah, this is like kind of a little bit of a vocab overview because you've probably heard all of these words and they all mean similar but different things. Yeah, and it can be really confusing. And yeah. we happen to live in a time in October of 2020 that everybody is like thinking about viruses all the time and it makes it so that it's really, really, really important for like the – medical public to make sure that everybody is using the right words yeah yeah so we have infectivity which is basically the ability of a pathogen to survive and replicate inside the host which means like infectious can the, can the virus go inside your body and stay there right. and do what it needs to do right um infectiousness which is basically how easily can it go from one host to another yeah virulence which is its ability to damage the host or reduce the host's fitness, which is a term that we talked about in the parasite episode, which is basically like the host's ability ultimately to reproduce. But basically, if you damage somebody in extreme cases, kill them, obviously they can't reproduce. So that's that's what that's related to. Mm -hmm. um, pathogenicity, which is its ability to cause disease, um, which is determined by virulence factors. And then transmission, which is basically, again, the passing of the pathogen from one host to another. And the transmission aspect... Um, it's important to note that there's like multiple modes of transmission, some of which we mentioned in parasites, but we'll just go over them again. 
Yes. So the modes of transmission are really important because they determine like how people protect themselves from the virus and how you like determine somebody's risk of like having a virus or something like that based on their exposure. So if a virus is transmitted and can be transmitted in, in an airborne fashion, what that actually means is that the virus can exist in like the t- small droplets and it can like persist in the air for some period of time. And somebody just has to like be around that air and are able to be infected with the virus. So an example of like an airborne type of virus is uh, like measles. Yeah. Which is which is like the hi- most highly contagious virus. Yeah. So they even like say like, virus. what is it like, you know, when it, if a kid um, comes into like a pediatrician's office with measles, um, that if they like sneeze and stuff in that room, in the waiting room, like it's there's virus in there for like the next four hours. Yeah. I also think I think that the statistic, too, is that 90 percent of unimmunized people exposed to measles will get it. So get your measles vaccine. Yep. That's going to come up a lot. That'll come up a lot in the next episode. (laughs) So that's what airborne is. Another example of an airborne disease that's not a virus is tuberculosis. So that's another one that um, can be transmitted through airborne uh, droplets and is a a bacteria. Um, But that's why it – that's why, you know, when we have a patient with TB in the hospital, you have to put them in like special kinds of – rooms and stuff, something called a negative pressure room, so that the air in that room doesn't get pushed out into the hallway and stays in the room. Um, And I think chickenpox also is airborne, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah. So In contact. So airborne is like scary? Question mark? I mean, Um, (laughs) all of it is not great. They're all kind of not great, but airborne is the one where it's kind of like, it it could be happening to you and you don't even know. Um. (laughs) Droplet means specifically respiratory droplets. So this has to yeah. do with coughing, sneezing, talking? Mostly Maybe. coughing and sneezing. Mostly coughing and sneezing. Yeah. And and there is like, you don't need to know the specific numbers, but there's a size distinction essentially between yes. like the droplet, what counts as droplet spread and what counts as airborne spread is based on like the size of the droplet yeah. that the virus Your snot can be drops in. are larger than airborne drops. Yeah, even if you can't see them. You can't see either. They're still them. larger. <laughs> um, direct contact, obviously, is directly contacting. Uh, yeah, it's like, like skin a, to skin. A, yeah. Touching um, blood, saliva. Yeah. Blood saliva. So this is like Ebola um, mm-hmm. coming into contact. It's mostly, I feel mono, like people thought about it with like, like the kissing disease. Mono, yeah. It's like also direct contact. Fluids. Um, sexually transmitted diseases in general. Yeah, like HIV, that sort of thing. Indirect contact means like, like fomites. I was going to say like viruses that can uh, persist on surfaces for some period of time, which each virus has its own ability to do this. Most viruses that are common don't really have this ability. Um, but when I was like when I was reading about Ebola, which I'll talk about later, um, there is some question about how long Ebola can persist on just surfaces. Um <laughs> Smallpox is one that persists oh. on surfaces oh, for a while. But luckily, it's been eradicated. Another thing we'll talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> and then fecal oral is the worst phrase in all of medicine. It's um, the worst phrase, but it's also like arguably the easiest one to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, like it's I, I feel like people when you say fecal oral to someone, it's like, OK, yeah, just don't eat someone's poop. But that's like not exactly because poop is everywhere, what which we established it's, it's in the Parasites It's episode. like you have to wash your hands. This is actually how a lot of the common, like, cold viruses are um, transmitted, and especially gastrointestinal viruses. Like, if you had a stomach bug, it was But really, it's this. like wash your hands. It's wash your hands. You know, it's, it's things like enteroviruses, adenoviruses, all of these things that, like, <laughs> children carry. <laughs> actually, for all of these things, wash your hands. That's true. Just wash your hands. Just wash your hands. You know, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so all these are all different ways that the virus can get into your body. And the thing that's interesting about viruses, like we talked about earlier, is they're actually like pretty simple. I, I, I feel like they're pretty simple. Like they have the least amount of material compared to all the other organisms that cause infections, bacteria, parasites, fungus, like those are all complicated structures whereas a virus is basically just like a bunch of genetic material and then like a container to hold it yeah 
Right. And the container to hold it is made up of proteins and it's called a capsid. Yeah. And then sometimes there is like an envelope around that made out of lipids. Sometimes. Yeah. But basically all viruses have the genetic material and the capsid. And then sometimes they have an envelope. But the fact that you only need like those two things, basically. To like, like wreak havoc on your whole body? Yeah. Like compared to the complicated parasite life cycles that we talked about last time. Yeah. This is so straightforward. Yeah. And, and that like and a bacteria has like a whole has an entire organism's worth of like stuff in a single cell that allow it to exist. And they're just looking for like the nutrition and a place to grow, basically. But what a virus basically does is so you have to imagine also like the electron um, like micrographs of viruses are like extremely cool. They yeah. are highly like geometric, many viruses. Yeah, I think there's like. There's a couple of standard is not the right word, but typical, I guess, morphologies that virus like viral capsids can take. And most of them are geometric. And they're very like pretty. And basically, they have to have what you have to have like to be a virus, like we said, is just the genetic material and something to hold it. And then the way that a virus like exists is basically it gets into the body And it has something on the surface of the capsid that can bind to something on some type of cell in your body. Um, And usually it can only infect like a certain cell type because not every cell is necessarily going to have like the receptor that the virus can bind to. And so the virus binds to it. And then what happens after that is it gets its genetic material in there and it basically hijacks your own cells um, like DNA or RNA machinery in some way, to create more DNA that then gets translated into RNA, and then that RNA builds more virus. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Yeah. And then basically, once the virus has taken over your machinery in order to make copies of itself, it assembles itself, and then is just released by the cell through a couple of different processes, but and oftentimes overlapping, but like... Oftentimes, you're just, like, busting through that cell membrane and killing the cell. Yeah, and all a virus really contains is instructions to make more virus. Yep. That's all it is. And yet, somehow... And so your body does have, like, mechanisms and ways to get rid of virus. Um, We aren't going to go through the entire way your immune system works because... That is like very, entire very, PhDs very, very, about that. Whole so. PhDs, <laughs> not even just whole PhDs. There's like entire. It's an entire field of science mm-hmm. that is very complicated and has lots of cells. But there are ways that your body can. This the reason that you don't like succumb to every common cold is because your body <laughs> does have ways to try to get rid of virus. And also, we figured out how to make vaccines, and that is also very, very helpful. Um, So, yeah, so there's like two types of, like you said, two ways that the virus goes back in and that is goes back into your body to then go infect more cells, which is the lytic way. And then that is everything explodes and the virus goes in the blood, goes to the cells. Lysis basically means explodes. Yeah. Like when we're talking about it, like like Lysol. Explodes bacteria. That's the whole point. Yeah. It lyses all. Um, And then there's the lysogenic, um, which basically means that, like, the virus DNA goes into the actual cell's DNA and, like, hangs out there. And then it'll just, like, be there. And then at some point it'll start making virus. Yeah, like shingles, for example. Oh, yes, like shingles, Mm -hmm. which comes from chickenpox, which is an airborne virus. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that is viruses, which are still very interesting. No yeah. So what. those are that's kind of like a little bit of the background that you need to know before we start talking very specifically about the kinds of viruses that show up in zombie things. Specifically 28 days later in this episode. Okay, so 28 days later, should we do should we start with a a quick review of what happens in this movie? Yeah. Yeah, give me a give me a quick synopsis of 28 days later. Okay. 28 Days Later was released in 2002. So this movie is 18 years old. Um, Not quite as old as Alien, but not appreciably any better. Arguably worse. Um, I think worse. So 28 Days Later opens (coughs) in the scene where it seems like animal rights activists are breaking into some kind of a laboratory where there's a lot of primates in glass boxes. Um, 
I took your advice and I skipped the first like minute or so. Yeah, because um, it's just like terrible news footage, like very graphic, terrible news footage for no reason that they're showing to a chimp. Yeah, they're for like some showing reason. a chimp. Like, I don't understand. To, I think what make we're doing. him really angry. So um, the thing is, the following explanation I will give you is not actually given in the movie, but something that I learned by reading about this movie ahead of time. Apparently what they were trying to do was they were trying to create a virus that would make people calm and, like, not be angry so that people would, they were, I guess, stop being aggressive towards each other. Yeah, they were trying to cure or fix domestic violence. Yes. Um, so, but apparently you know. their way of doing that was to make uh, these primates very, very, very angry. And then something with using the Ebola virus – and then they were going to try to, like, reverse engineer something that would inhibit that <laughs> impulse, I guess. Um, so all you actually see is that, like, there are all these, like, chimpanzees mostly in glass boxes. And they're tr- there's, like, people are sneaking in and they're going to try to release them. And then the scientist, like, says something about they're, they're being given an inhibitor. And they're like, we don't know what that means. Just do it anyway. So then this... Girl opens up one of the boxes, and the chimpanzee, I think, bites her neck. Um, And then, like, a whole bunch of blood comes out. And then, all, like, very, very, very rapidly, which is, like, within seconds, she throws up a bunch of blood. Her eyes get, like, totally bloodshot. And then I think it cuts to literally 28 days later. (laughs) Like, that's what happens next. Yeah, I think she attacks the scientists, and then it cuts. Yeah, she, att- she definitely attacks people and then it cuts. So then, okay, so 20 days later, all you see is um, Cillian Murphy, um, who's played Scarecrow by Jim. Scarecrow from Batman. <laughs> yeah, Scarecrow from Batman. He's also in, like, that movie with Rachel McAdams where they're, like, stuck on a plane. Um, okay. And <laughs> I, think the, I think he's, like, hijacking the plane. Anyway, um, he is uh, naked in a hospital bed, has some IVs in, and he's just, like, waking up. He's getting up. blood. Yeah, like, so, he somebody has hung a blood the transfusion blood. hooked up and also fluids. Yeah, and they're in but London. But also no Foley or anything. And who knows how long he's been there. I mean, something less less than or equal to 28 days. Actually, not even not even so. He could have been in there while they were doing this whole thing. Yeah, I think I think the implication is that he was there for at least the entire time. Oh, that's right. Because he doesn't know anything because, about what's happening. Well, he doesn't know anything. But also, if you look at kind of like the cues, his... He his head like he has a head wound like like he has sutures or whatever on his head that was shaved obviously at some point and the hair is like it's not long but it's like grown back over oh, where yeah, they like shaved a it buzz for cut stuff. On that side, so yeah. I think like the implication is that he's been there for weeks, which then I'm kind of like he doesn't have a Foley catheter in place or anything, so like a hundred percent he should have woken up covered in urine and like well he should well, have died of sepsis. Somebody but, hung like, blood. Somebody had the time to hang blood for him, like within the last six hours died. or so. I guess. Because it was just free-flowing into his arm. Yep. Anyway, um, which also, like, he probably should have just gotten an infection from having... Anyway. Um, yeah, he would have so He finds some scrubs, and then he walks out of the hospital. By the way, it's, like, deserted. Like, there's nobody around anywhere. He's in London. He's just, like, walking around London. He sees, like... Like, they... I'm really curious as to how they filmed all of it, because, like, he went to, like, busy parts of London, like Buckingham Palace, St. Paul's Cathedral, all these places. They're, like, deserted. Um, I do think this was before you could, like, CG people out really well. <laughs> yeah. And so they did that. So he's, he's like, walking around. He's, like, trying to find people or whatever. He goes into this church, and he just, like, sees a whole bunch of dead bodies. And then he sees, like, what he thinks is, like, the priest, but he's, like, walking funny with, like, choreoform movements, and he's like, what is going on? He, like, literally has no idea what's happening. And then um, the priest is obviously a zombie, and uh, they he these other two zombies end up sort of chasing him, and so he just runs, and then he comes upon, like, a sort of convenience story-looking place, and these other two people are there who throw Molotov cocktails at the zombies, light them on fire, lure them into, I think, the, like, gas station thing, and then they blow the whole thing up while, like, providing cover for Cillian Murphy. So these two people are Mark and Selena, and they're, like, the ones who are in the script to explain to Jim what has happened. Um, (laughs) And he's, like, so confused, and he's like, I gotta find my parents, which I'm, like, so surprised they agreed to just, like, take him to his parents' house. 
First of all, I think Jim is just kind of an idiot. Yeah. He, and his, he, he, he doesn't understand context or timing. No. Because, like, when they're Molotoving the zombies and stuff and they're trying to lead him to safety, he spends the whole time being like, what's going on? And it's like, I get it, but, like, zombies are chasing you but, like, right now. But, like, somebody's chasing you and these other two question. people have decided that the best way to deal with them is to literally light them on fire. Yeah. So, like, like maybe keep walking. You can ask them later. Yeah. Like, once you've stopped running from these people. <laughs> And also, I, I, like, I get it. You just woke up from, like, some variety of coma, um, which we won't even get into that. Um, but anyway, so they, like, they're trying to explain to him, like, what's happened, that there was this virus, that, like, the city is deserted, there's an evacuation, they barely get any radio signals, there's, like, no communication, and all they're trying to do is, like, survive. So he's like, no, I got to find my parents. And so they're like, okay. So they go to his parents' house. Obviously, his parents are dead apparently by suicide. Um, and uh, they're like hanging out in his house for the night because um, it's like safer to walk around during the day because the, what do they call them? Oh, the infected, they call them the infected um, because the infected like tend to come out more at night. So then they get attacked in there and then Mark maybe gets like sliced by a zombie cut in the skin. Who knows? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell, but uh, Selena basically, like, kills them immediately um, (laughs) and kills Mark immediately. And so then it's just Selena and Jim. And Jim is, like, maybe after that moment is finally, like, oh, this is, like, kind of serious. I don't know. Jim is, like, basically Jim is the main person who causes all of the problems because in this case it was also Selena was, like, no, we should all sleep in the same room for safety. And then, like, he wanders off to like the downstairs and turns on his TV is like watching a video by himself. And then like a zombie busts in through the patio door and through the skylight. Yeah. And then, and then Mark is like, we ha- it's fight. We have to fight or whatever. And then like, they come and do all the things. They come and do all the things. Yeah. Mark but of course, like Jim is fine. And yeah. then Mark gets injured and then is killed. So then I can't remember exactly what it was, but like Selena and Jim are now like trying to survive and Selena's very clear, like, Jim, if something happens to you, like, you're on your own. Um, and they come across this man and his daughter as they are trying to run away from a zombie. Um, this man, Frank, and his daughter, Hannah, who are also, like, two survivors that are, like, living in an apartment complex that they've sort of fortified. And they're able to get this radio signal that says, um, come to this place that is uh, – you know, this this particular location of, like, some kind of military installation and, like, we can help you stay yeah, safe. Yeah, they say something like, we have the answer to the virus yeah. or something like that. The answer to infection or something like oh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. by the way, he's like, it's going to take two or three days to get there. I actually looked it up because he was like, it's 27 miles northwest of Manchester. And I was like, okay, so that distance from London is a four and a half hour drive. <laughs> So I don't know what he's talking about. It's going to take three days to get there. Because at this point, literally nobody's on the road. Yeah. Although with that, like, they go through that tunnel and there's just, like, abandoned cars and stuff all up in there. So fair. who knows how passable the roads are. So they all decide that they're going to try to go to this place. And they go to the grocery store (laughs) and stock up for their four and a half hour drive. Um, and get in the car and yeah, they try to go into this tunnel. There's like all these cars. It's like the dumbest decision to take this like classic London taxi cab, um, and drive it over a pile of abandoned cars. And I yeah, was they're like, very cavalier about like their, their car dumb decisions. making it like, I don't know. It's I'd like, be this like, this is the this one. This is your only mode of transportation. Exactly. Like, you, this is why like would you the risk one it? advantage you have is that you have a working car. Um, and they even discuss, like, whether they should even go in the tunnel to begin with, like, before they do it. Um, and so they ended up being, like, they have to do this, like, very, very quick, like, race car pit stop tire change because they do end up getting a flat tire as, like, a whole horde of the infected are, like, almost about to get them. They manage to get in the car. They drive away. They, for some reason, have to take an overnight break somewhere for this, like, four and a half hour drive. Um, and, and then eventually they do actually make it to the location. And at first they think it's like been abandoned because there's like some uh, like, you know, abandoned military vehicles and some like scaffolding. And then this is the part where, uh, Frank 
he's like looking around. Oh, he looks up and he sees a crow literally over a dead body. And the crow is like doing a gross thing, like eating his like face or something like that. And then a drop of blood from that body goes into Frank's eye. And he yeah, like. Yeah, because Frank sees this and then he's like trying to shoo the crow away or something. And and I could not figure out what he was trying to do with that crow. Yeah, I was like, I don't understand what you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. so he tries to, like, shoo the crow away. A drop of blood gets in his eye. Obviously, he's, like, immediately infected just in the same way that, like, the girl was at the very beginning of the movie. And then, out of nowhere, some other people, like, shoot him and kill him. And it turns out that those are the, like, military guys that have been, like, sending out the signal. So they take who's left, which is now Jim, Selena, and Hannah, to, like, their sort of military building. Which is like yeah, they've they've like taken over some kind of like fancy manor, some manor looking house. Yeah, I don't know that they have like put landmines and stuff around. Like they have this whole security plan, um, and they are presented as extremely creepy and untrustworthy from the start, um, <laughs> because there's like a main guy, and then he seems to be in charge of like five or six of not the sharpest knives in the shed, guys. Just kind of, like, young and sort of just, like, dumb guys. Um, And then I don't even want to know if I want to get into this whole next plot because it involves... I think let's just, like, move through it quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, none of this basically, Basically, the guy's, like, doesn't have any answers for them aside from that, like, he just happens to have weapons to kill zombies. But what he was really trying to do was, like, lure women... Uh, because he thinks that he's going to, like, populate the earth once this whole thing is over, but he, like, needed women. So then there's this whole, like, unfortunate, like, sort of rape subplot that's very much glazed over um, in this story. But ultimately what happens is, like, they try to get rid of Jim. Jim escapes. He comes back. He actually turns the some of the infected against the guys, kills all of them, gets Hannah and Selena, or the three of them manage to get out of there. And then at some point, there's, like... A whole thing where, like, uh, they're in some house now in the countryside. Oh, yeah, it's 28 more days yeah, later. Yeah, 28 more days that, later. They're at a house, now in, the they're in, a house in the countryside. And there's, like, a plane that's kind of, like, surveilling, I guess, just, like, the countryside to see if there's anybody alive. And so then they make this big sign out of fabric to say, like, hey, we're here. That says hello. And then the plane <laughs> seems to see them. And then it cuts. And that's the Which whole movie. Is just like, and they show like two like dying zombies, not zombies, infected. Oh yeah, yeah. Like because right the idea at the is end, they maybe starve to death now because everybody is either dead or hiding or something. Yeah, but like, oh man, there's so many questions. We can't get into it. It's like there's there's so much. There's so, so many questions. I feel of- like I could barely understand what I, there were some things in there where i was like this filmmaker is like trying to say something but i don't yes, exactly right? and know you're what kind of is. like i don't understand what this shot is doing like why are we doing it this way yeah like i don't know there's there's a lot but we're not going to get into all of that because that's just like a whole other thing instead we're going to talk about the origins of the 28 days later zombie virus situation which is the rage virus which yeah. we mentioned before so like jiba had said it was basically a virus that scientists developed at Cambridge because what they Cambridge. were trying to do Cambridge? was stop domestic violence. And so this is from the wiki, quote, they were trying to isolate the specific neurochemicals that cause anger and excessive aggression in order to develop an inhibitor. And so Which, they like, did if you're develop, looking for, like, one chemical that causes a vague emotion, like Yeah, like, anger, good luck with that. It's not going mean, to happen. It's not. That's not how that works. But they did apparently successfully develop an inhibitor, whatever that means. And they decided the way to solve domestic violence, I guess, was delivering this inhibitor in a widespread fashion. So they decided to use the Ebola virus to do that. <laughs> Which probably actually is not the best choice, as I will talk about when, we, just when we talk about a Ebola virus. terrible choice. Yeah. But um, instead, the... It says, quote, several isolated genomes in the Ebola virus reacted to the inhibitor and mutated, causing the inhibitor to have the opposite effect. Instead of inhibiting anger, it caused its host to become full of constant, uncontrollable rage and creating the rage virus. And then maybe also have Ebola. Yeah, which is like, okay, so there's several aspects to this that are incorrect, But I think there's like two that we want to talk about. And the first thing that I want to talk about is the idea of using a viral vector 
to do things because that is something that we actually do. Yes. We do use viral vectors to do gene therapy, which is basically a kind of therapy where we deliver genes, so like genetic material, into a patient's cells in order to treat some kind of disease, a specific disease. And usually it's because that patient has a disease which makes it so that they have a mutation or something in a gene that results in like lack of a specific protein or a dysfunctional version of that protein or something like that. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to give them the gene for that yeah. protein. And it has so that to be like a single gene usually. Or right. like it maybe, has to be very specific. Yeah, very specific. It can't be if, – if it gets beyond, more complicated than that, then you're probably not going to be successful. Right. Like one of the examples I think that's given commonly as, as like an example of a success in this case is for severe combined immunodeficiency, but a specific type of it, which is caused by um, adenine deaminase. Deaminase. Right. Deaminase. I was yeah. like, that is not correct. Yeah. Um, deficiency. And and basically, like you are missing that specific protein. Right. You're missing the deaminase, anamase, aminase. Oh my gosh, I cannot say that word. <laughs> you got You're missing that. And so what the gene therapy is doing in this case is just giving you that protein yeah. to fix the problem. And severe combined immunodeficiency is basically like one of the most terrible immunodeficiencies. It just means that your immune system does not work. And so it's kind of like, like you've probably heard in colloquial stuff like the bubble boy and stuff like that, or people have to live completely in clean rooms. It's usually related to this disease. Yeah. So... And it's actually so not like, that easy to do this, just right. in general, especially in humans. We use right. viruses a lot, especially in, like, biological research, um, because there's a lot of vir- – because we use viruses and bacteria to study DNA, to amplify DNA, to make more of it. And then there's a lot of viruses that easily put their DNA into bacteria, and the bacteria, you know, have the machinery to make more of it. And then we can, like, do whatever we want with the DNA – put it back into the viruses, and then, like, see if we can do things to cells. So sometimes the the place where you really see a lot of this is mostly in the lab where you're trying right. to, like, see a certain effect on, like, a cancer cell or, like, some other kind of diseased cell or a heart cell or something to see if you can even possibly do something like gene therapy. And a lot of the time it's really not that successful. Um, right. There's very, very few of this specific thing that I – think is used in humans for anything. I mean, I could be wrong, but I it is I not that easy to do. I think the technology has improved a lot. But it's it's not only that the technology isn't easy, but like the conditions that you're treating are specific, right? Yes. Like so like so basically, you need to be able to deliver the genetic material and an effective genetic material delivery system is viruses, like we just yeah, talked about, because, because they just like they do. put genetic material into cells. That's what they do. So like there's also like non-viral methods. But we're not going to get into that because we're talking about viruses today. So basically what you do is you take these viruses and you substitute part of its genetic material with new genetic material or instructions or whatever. And then this new virus is called the recombinant virus. And the recombinant virus has to be based on a virus that already exists. So... We've used like adenoviruses, like in, t- like in these, this therapeutic field, adenoviruses have been used pretty commonly. I think that's the most common one. Um, and then also a bunch of other viruses. But you, you think about several things when you're choosing the virus with which you're going to do this. And, and it comes down to like a few things, all of which are basically related to safety. But the first one is safety. <laughs> so like if yeah. you're going to use a pathogenic virus because, you know, viruses cause disease, like we talked about, they're usually modified so that the virus cannot replicate itself. Yeah, the virus can't the be like body. all virusy while it's in there. Right. It so needs like to just be doing what you're asking it to do. Yeah. So basically, you're adjusting it so that it just goes in, delivers the genetic material you've asked it to deliver, and then it cannot make more of itself after that. You also need to choose something that has low toxicity. So you want to choose a virus that has a minimal effect on the physiology of the cell that it's going to infect. Like, you don't want one that's just going to kill the cell immediately, because that would be bad. That would be bad. You're trying to fix that cell, not make things worse. (laughs) You want it to be a stable virus. Like, some viruses um, can rearrange their genome Mm -hmm. so that your immune system can't recognize it. Like, flu, for example, can recombine, like, its its little, its parts so that... Which is why you have to get a new new one, new flu shot every year. Every year. And then you have to think about like cell type specificity, right? So like depending on what the condition is that you're trying to target, 
you might want a really wide range of cells or you might want like a very specific range of cells. But viruses themselves have, like we talked about, a like host range of the types of cells that they can enter. And then ideally, and this is more of a lab thing, but you you want to have a way to see if the cell took up the genes yeah. that you wanted it like, to take up. And did it so work? some kind of ID marker. Um, and then you want to think about like how much information the virus can hold. So like the size of the virus that you're trying to use. But like we said, it's not, this is like not trivial and it's not easy. And there are a lot of issues with this. Like one is like an immune response, right? Like your, your immune system is going to have a response to foreign material. And this is what that is. You also can't control necessarily where the virus is going to insert its genetic material. And there have been cases where you know, it has inserted into a bad place, like inside of a tumor suppressor gene, which then turns that off and then gives you tumors, which is bad. Generally and bad then, And then it's very hard to do this at all if you're talking about any kind of disorder that is related to multiple genes, right? So, like, you can't really be like, oh, I want to fix hypertension, like, which is or, high blood pressure. Like oh, I want to fix, like, right, like, you can't. There's so many factors that affect the development of those conditions that you can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to like figure out all of the genes and then just like make a virus that, d- that does this, which is why like the anger thing also doesn't make any sense well, because it's there's not funny like a to me, gene for anger. It's funny to me because the implication is that they figured out that they could make it into a pill or an aerosol and they actively chose this to be the best thing. Like they already <laughs> had made the inhibitor. And like, quote unquote, maybe it worked. I don't know. It was hard to tell. Those chimpanzees were very unhappy, but they were also in like glass boxes. Yeah. So. And this is also weird because in this case, you're also trying to, you're not even trying to like, I don't know, like you're trying to introduce a new protein, like a novel inhibitor thing that you don't actually know like what that does in people's cells. Yes. It doesn't matter. Like (laughs) it doesn't make any sense because there's not one gene. That, like, right. controls anger. Yeah. Such that you can create an inhibitor that would just, like, stop anger. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. So, so yeah. So, so, like, the choice of the virus real thing is... Ebola is a terrible choice. Ebola is a terrible choice. And why is Ebola a terrible choice? Well, for one thing, Ebola itself as a virus is not great. So, Ebola... Um, uh, was first sort of identified as a virus back in, like, 1976. Um, and it shows up as Ebola outbreaks. And that's tend to, that tends to be, like, what happens. And it's mostly in particular African countries. I think it was first identified in Democratic Republic of Congo, um, uh, formerly known as Zaire. Did I get it right? Oh, my gosh. I'm not sad about not remembering colonial names. Um, but uh, <laughs> But Ebola is known as a viral hemorrhagic fever. Um, and what it is, is it's, ca- it's, a, it's a disease caused by the Ebola virus, which is in the family of filovitriae. Did I say it right? I say filoviridae. Filoviridae. I think you added an I in there. I did, yeah. Filoviridae. Like um, but Somehow. it's like this sort of like, it, unlike um, some of the other viruses we talk about, to me, there's a lot of viruses that look like the lunar module um, which is mm. the part of the spaceship <laughs> that lands on the moon where uh-huh. you have like a container and then it has these kind of like legs and that's how it lands, right? We've yep. all seen moon landing movies. Um, <laughs> most viruses to me look like that or a lot of viruses look like that. But this is a little bit different because it actually looks kind of like a little worm, um, like a little filament sort of thing. Um, and it is a single-stranded RNA virus, which means that it, it puts RNA into the cells that then has to be translated into um, directly the protein. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, I don't think it has a reverse transcriptase. Yeah, so usually what happens is, is like a protein that turns RNA into DNA. Yeah, so usually if there's an if RNA the, virus, yeah, it has to be turned back into DNA, and then the DNA does all the things. Right, right. But then sometimes it doesn't, so yeah. viruses are unique and special. So what Ebola actually does is it targets a lot of your immune cells. And the first thing and the reason why Ebola um, is able to do what it does is the cells that it infects first are called dendritic cells. um, And those are particular immune cells that are kind of there to like tell the rest of your cells that there's like a thing in the body. And what it does is it like shuts those down. So it kind of like evades capture and evades surveillance. Um, And then what it sort of goes on to do is it basically is able to then cause a systemic sort of inflammatory response because the virus itself is allowed to replicate, 
go into all the other cells and your immune system like basically didn't have a heads up, you know. And so it makes it very, very hard to then fight off the virus, which it, your body can do. But the problem is like it just doesn't get a head start. Um, so then what happens is you get all of these uh, release of proteins that cause like a ton of inflammation, which is why you have like bad fevers. And they also release proteins that mess with your sort of um, bleeding and clotting. And people don't know exactly how it works, but um, in some patients, like their platelet counts might get really low. Um, and so they'll have, you can get like bleeding from the gums, bleeding from like IV sites um, and, and that sort of thing. You can have like some bleeding in your gut, like in your stomach and colon and all that stuff. Um, hence the hemorrhagic part. Hence the hemorrhagic. Excuse me. And you have like all these, all these sort of just bad badness, fever, headache, muscle pain, weakness, diarrhea, vomiting, stomach pain. And then lots of bleeding and lots of bruising. Um, and so it's it's no good. And it also does sort of like um, it the the inflammation and the stuff that it does to your bleeding and clotting affects the like small blood vessels. So like the microvasculature and causes like a vasculitis. So inflammation of those things, which is how you get like damage to your organs uh, because they rely on those for their blood supply. Um and da, 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 what else with Ebola? So what do you do about Ebola? Uh, unfortunately, it's just what we call supportive care. So, you know, giving medications. You try to keep people alive. You just try to keep people alive. You treat there's, the symptoms. There's not really a – there's like some experimental quote-unquote treatments where people have are trying to use like antibodies and things to see if that's helpful. Um, nothing proven at all. Um, the main treatment for Ebola is just supportive care. So it's like, if you're bleeding, give blood. If you are dehydrated, make sure you have enough fluids. Like if somebody's having a lot of diarrhea and fever and they're losing a lot of fluid, like make sure they have fluids. If you're having a lot of vomiting, like try to control the nausea. Like it's, it's just kind of it's your very reactive. basic like you level medical get at management. The source because you can't do anything about the virus. Like, we don't have a treatment for the specific virus, so all you can do is react to, like, whatever the patient is going through. One of the interesting things, um, especially as it relates to, like, the bleeding and clotting and stuff, there's a entity called DIC, or Disseminated Intravascular Coagulopathy, that you kind of see in, like, uh, severe infections. It's kind of like an end-stage sort of badness that in, like developed countries in like, you know, tertiary care hospitals in the United States, like we do all of these labs and things to prove that somebody is having DIC. One of the hard things, and, and there's like treatments that you give for that, um, certain types of like blood products and whatever. But unfortunately, most of Ebola is treated in like rural Africa. And so they're not, you're not like doing a lot of labs on these patients, mainly because you're also trying not to c come into too much contact with them, because Ebola is like extremely, extremely contagious. So it, it is actually interesting that it, there's like hematologists, that I read some interviews that are like, it's actually hard to define exactly what the bleeding phenomenon in Ebola is because the normal things we would do are just not typically done. Because mm. in places where there is Ebola, you're like, well, they have Ebola. So yeah, we know how to treat them. It's um, interesting. So Ebola, as we said, very, very, very contagious. You have to come into con direct contact with body fluids. So it's not like through the air. It's, it's not infectious through, like, and contagious. Ca exactly. And so it's not casual contact. Um, it takes about 2 to 21 days. So that's like the incubation period. So there's some period of time where you're not really symptomatic. The thing about Ebola is that you, you yourself are not contagious unless you are symptomatic. Um, and once you are symptomatic, you are. Um, and then after, if you happen to die from Ebola, like your fluids are still contagious. So that's why it's really the, the disposal of a person, of a body, of a deceased person who had Ebola is like a very complicated procedure because you're trying to avoid like getting any kind of bodily fluid onto yourself. Um, the symptoms, they can come on really, really fast and you can, without treatment or access to medical care, you can die really, really fast, but your, like, chance of survival has to do with, like, how quickly you start getting, like, the full supportive care, fluids, oxygen, medications to manage the symptoms, all that stuff. There is something interesting, um, which was that back at the end of 2019, in December, the very, very first Ebola vaccine was approved by the FDA. Um, and so I don't know exactly what the sort of distribution of that is, 
um, right now. Uh, but that was the, the very, very first time. And this is a single dose vaccine. Um, and there's a and it, it's against a very, very specific uh, strain of the Ebola virus, which is the one that's found. Unfortunately, they call it the Zaire Ebola virus species. I mean, it's the one that's in the DRC. So, um, but yeah, so there is a vaccine for it. So anyway, that's the long and short of Ebola virus. So I think in the United States... Our, that's only one of the hemorrhagic fevers. <laughs> yes, there are more hemorrhagic fevers than just Ebola. But in the United States, I mean, our memory of Ebola is the... How many cases did we have in our country at that time? Five? I was going to say seven, but it's less. it was less than less 10, Less than 10 back in like 2014. Um, Jen and I had the pleasure of being residents... <laughs> In pediatrics at the time in Texas mm-hmm. when we had the first Ebola patient in the United States. Um, and that was an interesting time for sure. But that's sort of our first time we had to learn about um, the things that are most important with Ebola and taking care of patients with Ebola, which is like mostly making sure you are taking care of yourself um, yeah. and keeping Personal your protective equipment. Yeah. Having the right PPE, which for Ebola is like really intense. It's like full hazmat suit and all that kind of stuff. They have like decontamin, like contamination, decontamination rooms, all that kind of thing. And that's how you are. That's how you help. That's how you as a medical provider take care of somebody with Ebola. Um, there is a book called The Hot Zone, which is probably which is, I think, now made into a TV series that was on like. I think it was a movie, too. Yeah. That is about people who have taken care of Ebola and then at some point early on in um, the COVID pandemic, there was a nurse who had worked out in um, places in Africa where there have been Ebola outbreaks talking about, you know, how there's no such thing as an emergency in like a pandemic and stuff like that about how important it is to make sure that like you have your protective equipment on before you do anything. And like the most important thing is not is is not infecting yourself <laughs> And I was like, oh, this is very insightful because we just don't deal with that a lot in this country. Whereas in the places where there is Ebola, they have recurrent sort of outbreaks. Um, And if you go to the CDC website, they'll show you there was, you know, there was one this year. There was one in 2018. There have been more than just the sort of 2014 one that we experienced very briefly um, in, in this country. But that's all the reasons why Ebola was a very poor choice, because if you are trying to do your sort of. I don't know, bad idea science, and you're using this, like, <laughs> extremely virulent pathogenic thing, um, uh-huh. probably not the best choice. It's really a completely nonsensical choice. Yeah. Especially coming out of Cambridge. I mean, who are the supervisors of these people? Yeah. And one question I had was, like, in 28 Days Later, there's just, like, dead infected bodies everywhere. Um, mm. And in as I was as I had alluded to, like disposing of a body with Ebola is very, very challenging. I feel like in 20 days later, they were just all over the place. Like nobody should have survived. They, yeah, like, they're, they're pretty casually come into, con- like, the they come into contact with them a lot. Well, it's also also there was that whole thing where like when Jim somehow suddenly becomes competent and comes to rescue Selena, whatever, he's like covered in blood. And it's kind of like. How much of that is zombie and how much of that is like people that he's killed is unclear. Yeah. And they just immediately start making out. And they're like, and I'm touching like if you each get all any of that in your mouth, I was like, Selena, remember you're when just you just gonna like, be a killed zombie. Mark because he had a cut on his arm? Yeah. Like, anyway. Anyway. It doesn't make any sense. That was bad. 28 days <laughs> later, do not recommend. Yeah, I, I don't think it was a good movie. No. Is my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing the, the grade A, I'm going to give it. Later. Later. But anyway, let's let's go to the resident lounge, yes. which is where we talk about some of the pieces um, of research that we kind of came across that were interesting that may or may not be relevant to the thing that we talked about. And um, I have a couple of things that I wanted to mention. Okay, go One for is that there is an entire wiki about zombies called Zombiepedia. And I was like, of course there is. I mean, it makes sense. It just, it just like goes through and lists a bunch of things from a bunch of different movies all about zombies. And I was like, okay. And then, two, there's a psychiatrist, I think it's a psychiatrist from Harvard named Stephen Schlotzman, Mm -hmm. who wrote a book called The Zombie Autopsies. Mm. And he kind of proposed a um, medical slash biological mechanism for a zombie disease. 
And oh, he okay. called it ataxic neurodegenerative sati- sati- satiety. Satiety. Oh my gosh, words today. Deficiency syndrome or ANSD. And <laughs> when he first like proposed this, I think like it confused a lot of people. Is about this a real thing, or is this real? like that vampire thing that was actually a joke about the DSM? No, this is like this is like this is this is a fiction thing that he wrote. Oh, okay, for right. fun. Because he's like he's like a big sci-fi horror person. Okay, okay. That he likes that. But like he wrote this, and then it confused a lot of people. Just like the just like the vampire real. DSM thing. <laughs> yeah. People so need to make either not make these types of jokes, or people just need better disclaimers when well, these this things is also are like, jokes. Do you remember in like at the height of when everybody was talking about zombies, like when Zombieland came out, Walking Dead first started, like blah blah, all of that stuff. The CDC had that one Halloween where they talked about how to prep for the zombie apocalypse. Do you remember that? Oh, I have like a vague record. I want to say it was like in 2012 or something like that. But like they they did that and they said in the aftermath, they got like a bunch of people calling to be like, Wait, are what there are we really- supposed to do? Are there, <laughs> are there really zombies? <laughs> and it's like, like what is right. the cure for this? And they were like, hmm, that was, I guess, effective, I guess, if you wanted to people to be disaster prepared, but not effective if you were trying not to panic a bunch of people. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. Those <laughs> anyway. are good. I don't think I had much from the resident lounge, except for that 28 Days Later was less scary than I thought it was going to be and infinitely and more, more upsetting than I thought it was going to so be. dumb. It's just like. It's it just it's very tropey in like an annoying way to me. I can see how like a lot of later stuff referenced it. Like obviously the beginning where Jim wakes up in the hospital, blah blah blah. Like the Walking Dead opening is very much like an uh, echo of that. Yeah, but like and the fast zombies. They're they're not the slow zombies. zombies. They're fast zombies. They run really fast. But it's like the things that they do. Like Selena is the only competent person, and Jim is an idiot. And then the way that they try to like make it seem like Selena is like a scold and annoying is obnoxious. And then also, like the whole soldier thing happens and they damsel Selena like immediately. The soldier thing was so upsetting. Yeah. And especially it when like so Selena is like obviously the more competent person there. And there's this whole scene where like um, the main soldier guy is explaining only to Jim what the security like stuff is at the manor. And I'm like, listen, Jim like has no idea what you're saying. He is a bicycle messenger. Yeah. And-, and I know that like part of that is to make them even seem like worse also because the soldiers are not like portrayed as being good no. obviously but there's also that whole thing where like they're making fun of the one soldier guy who's like cooking for them and they like he's wearing like a frilly apron and they're like yeah. oh, oh, like all that kind of stuff and then like at dinner his food turns out poorly and they just like look at hannah and they're like can you cook? Because we need someone with some flair in the kitchen. And I was just like, oh, Ugh. fuck all of you. Like, this, this is, is the worst. worst. <laughs> like, yeah. And then on a lighter note, both Deepa and I at the end were like, why would you spell out hello with all of your sheets yeah. instead of help? Yeah. Which is help fewer is letters. letters. Because like, like they literally show Selena like <laughs> frantically sewing something, you know? Like, yeah, she's, she's sewing like, like sheets and stuff together. She's putting so they the can very last letters. touches. And I was like, why is hello? Help should be fine. We have established that the infected, like they cannot do this kind of organized activity. So they're not yeah. going to like accidentally pick up infected. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of stuff about this movie that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I'm not going to watch it again to figure it all out. Though. I'm 100% not going to watch it again. <laughs> all right. So let's go to our discharge summary, which is our actual review of the thing that we watched. So we're going to give a review of 28 Days Later. And, and making zombies. And um, so. Um, and how it makes zombies. And how it makes zombies. How it makes zombies, I would say, okay, I'll give it like three out of ten. Um product placement pepsi cans um (laughs) and that is because at the very least i thought that when when the infected appeared they were pretty scary i know i didn't want to be around them scary they They looked like people running around that had ebola and for some reason were yeah but if you do have a bullet you're you're not not running running. no that's true (laughs) that's true um but also i'll give it a three I'll give it a three. It's, like, good enough. Not even good enough. It's, like, barely a thing. Yeah. Man. Okay. You're going to give it way worse. I will remind you that in the Parasite episode, I think you gave the alien life cycle, like, a four. So you think that this is only slightly worse than that. (laughs) No, this is product placement Pepsi cans. 
That scale is different. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. All of the scales are different. Product placement Pepsi cans. The number of times somebody drinks a Pepsi in this movie, where oh supposedly God, so the entirety so of London is like decimated, is insane. Yeah. But there's just scattered Pepsi just everywhere. Pepsi just is every, everywhere. every once in a while when you need some sugar or something, there's just Pepsi ready for you. Ready for you. Okay. I'm going to give it one out of ten. Uh, infected eye blood. <laughs> Drops, I guess. Is that how Mad Eye Moody became Mad Eye? Oh, I hope not, because then he would be dead. <laughs> it's the same actor. Because I think that, like... Because basically, like, the origins... If we're talking about making a zombie... The origins of the virus and stuff really don't make any sense. And viruses are weird enough that you could have easily hand-waved past some of, like, the nonsensical things to make me buy it. But then once you're kind of like, oh, no, we wanted to, like, cure domestic violence by, like, targeting anger genes <laughs> somehow like, using the Ebola virus. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, we're done here. It doesn't make any sense. We are done like, here. Like, with each subsequent edition of that, I was like, no, no, no. You're like, you could have just quit while you were ahead. Yeah, we could have stopped. You were like, this way is earlier. a case where more information is not helpful. Yes. Once again, sometimes, especially when you're doing like genre fiction stuff, less give is, me less information. Less more. If you don't know how it works, please just don't make things up. Unless you're like, unless you're like Michael Crichton and you're going to have like five chapters explaining how viruses are made. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. But I guess, you know. That's fine. There are better zombie things, and we will get into some of them next time. So thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Doc's Watch. You can subscribe to our medical ramblings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Doc's Watch Pod or visit us at docswatchpod.com.